everyone, and welcome to the 22nd edition of the Mendoza Line. My name is Cam, and, uh, well, big surprise, I'm joined by the coolest Nick that I know, Nick Coates. What's up? We made it, Cam. We made it all the way through our first baseball season of the Mendoza Line. We did. Can you believe it? Uh, yes, I can believe it. And I feel like uh, we did a pretty decent job, considering this is the first time either of us have done a sports podcast. <laughs> yeah, I will admit it's a little bittersweet. <clears throat> it means that winter is just around the corner. The best season. But hey, we got, a, we, got a, we got a full month of playoff baseball to help us keep our mind off of that. And also, as a Reds fan, um, our season came to a merciful close today (laughs) in which I found myself rooting against my favorite team against the hated Chicago Cubs. Do you know why? Because you don't want the Cardinals to make the playoffs. Well, that is true, but not that didn't have anything to do with this. Um, Was was Alfredo Simone pitching? No, (laughs) he is. He's been done for a while. Uh, Today's the last two games actually have had pretty big implications as far as our draft position oh, for next year. Okay. So that makes sense. There are like the Twins are far and away. They wrapped up the first pick about a week ago, but there's about six or seven teams that are all within the the 68 to 69 win grouping. So a win, you know, a win either way could take you from picking second to picking, you know, seventh or eighth. So part of how the draft is set up with the the bonus slot allotments it's pretty important if if you can get a top two pick those are where those you have the most amount of money that you can uh, be able to draft good players and also save money to be able to draft better players later on Um, it's a bit of a complicated process but by the reds losing today which they did and then two other teams winning the a's and rays uh, the Reds actually jumped up to the, the number two pick in the the draft next year again. So they had the number two pick last year and this year. So it's kind of crazy because if they would have won today, they would have picked uh, fifth or sixth, I believe. And then if they would have won two more games over the whole season, they would have picked like ninth. So it was pretty pretty important loss uh, in a sense of you know today had no meaning for for the Cubs or for the Reds. So in a, a sense, that loss was, you know, it's the small victories for me in, in this season that was, you know, going back to one of our early podcasts where we covered the Reds were one of the first teams to reach five wins on the young season. Uh, so from going to there, the mountaintop of the 2016 season to the, the deep, deep valley that was pretty much the rest of the year to finish with the second worst record. I, uh, yeah, I'm kind of glad that it's over, but I'm I'm also glad because I think that gives us some optimism for a brighter future with that pick. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel bad saying this. I promised myself I would never root against them again, especially <laughs> against the Cubs. But today was an important loss, and I think will be beneficial. So I guess we'll see in the draft next June, but... That was kind of a weird way for me to spend my last day watching baseball was rooting against my favorite team. But here we are. Do I feel bad about it? Kind of. I kind of do. Well, 
to be fair, I feel like your reasoning for rooting against them is far better, th- especially since they were playing the Cubs. I, that's why. Yeah. That's why I brought up the uh, the Cardinals thing. Was there's there's only one reason you'd ever do that. But uh, you know, after your explanation, I feel like your reasoning is even more uh, important than you know keeping the Cardinals out. Uh, so for what it's worth, I think that's a legitimate reason. <clears throat> now, I mean, it's not as bad as like the whole suck for luck thing that the Colts did. Um, but we did not. We just were awful without Peyton. That we didn't do that on purpose. We were just bad. Mm, well, yeah, they were pretty, pretty bad. Uh, but anyways, yeah, total, totally understandable. And we did, we did the, earlier this week take two of two of four from the Cardinals, which in hindsight kept them out of the playoffs because they missed it by a game. So the Reds did their part, and also the last game of the series they won on a very controversial ground rule double call that should not that sh- it was a double where the the runner scored from first, where it should have been ruled a ground rule double with the runner stopping at third, but the umpires missed it. It was a uh, bit of a controversy, but justice prevails. The Dirty Cardinals did not make the playoffs for the first time since 2010. The The rest of the baseball world rejoices with us. But the, the Giants did make the playoffs in an even year, so I don't even think they need to play the playoffs anymore. I think we know who's going to win it all. Not Not the Tigers, that's for sure. Oh yes, your poor Tigers. Did you want to talk about that at all? How close they came. Uh, I mean, we almost got our play-in game. It was so close. <laughs> if that had happened, Nick, I would have been equally equal parts impressed that you called it, and then equal parts annoyed that it was actually happening. Uh, that would have been a very interesting feeling. No, I mean, I'm not surprised. I think I've I've stated it multiple times over the, you know the previous you know, three or four episodes that I just I wasn't getting my hopes up every time the Tigers got close. They seemed to lose a pivotal game, and uh, they had the opportunity, uh, four games against Cleveland, and then this final series against Atlanta, and not only did they not do what they had to do against Cleveland, they lost their first game against Atlanta. So it's, uh, it's not surprising. Um, I, what, what I've learned about the Tigers over my entire life is they used to suck really bad for a long time. Then they got good, but what they don't possess and this stretches over you know years in different rosters and different managers and everything they don't have clutch people they can't get it done when the pressure's on and uh, you know as someone who also grew up as a red wings fan i know what winning tough tight games and what being clutch looks like because the red wings have done that for you know the better part of two decades uh, so it's, I mean, my, my only thought is, uh, you know, they had a good season. It wasn't a bad season. They had a good season. Verlander was great. Uh, Ful- yeah, that had to be encouraging. Yeah, especially after last season. Fulmer looks like he's going to be a stud into the future. Um, I really enjoyed Ian, Kin- Ian Kinsler this year. Um, it just, it, yeah, it just remains to be seen what... Uh, what the future holds, because Verlander is definitely towards the end of his career. Cabrera is towards the end of his career. So is Victor Martinez. Um, so a lot of like the big name, all star, you know, MVP Cy Young type guys on the Tigers are definitely, you know, heading towards whether it's in you know two to five years or heading towards the end of their careers. So, I, uh, it's really a bummer 
bummer that they lost the last two games to the Braves. That really obviously put the nail in the coffin. You know, today that they Julio Tehran's a really good pitcher. You know, to lose against Aaron Blair yesterday that had to really, um, really hurt. And I think the yeah, what really killed the Tigers this year was just the just getting destroyed by the Indians at the end of the day. Um, they they owned us all year though. It, yeah, they did. And I mean, if a few of those games obviously go go another way, then they're in that wild card discussion. But I'll give you props. I mean, you were the one that picked them to make make the playoffs in our I, preseason. I picked them to make the World Series, <laughs> which was well, a step farther than I should have gone. Playoffs, I thought, was possible. You know, when anyone makes the playoffs, anything can happen. And that's, that's I what was, I was hoping for. And it didn't I was happen. more on the, I really doubt that's going to happen because they were so bad last year and they lost David Price. And I didn't foresee a Verlander uh, renaissance and definitely Fulmer being what he was. So I, I just saw that team with a really good lineup and no pitching. So it had to be encouraging to come out of this year, seeing those two guys emerge. And then you just got to hope that um, the other guys, Zimmerman gets back on track, the bullpen gets stabilized, and then definitely make another run next year. Yeah, and it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the offseason. And maybe maybe that can be our, our final episode of the season. After the playoffs, after the World Series, we can do a looking forward to 2017 episode where we talk about the you know, the uh, available free agents, you know, potential trades, you know, uh, that sort of stuff. I think that would be a, a fun way to, to end this season. I love that stuff. So absolutely. Let's jump into the teams that are in the playoffs. And uh, let's start in uh, your National League, Nick. How about that? Yeah, so we, we had some, a bit of... Uh, drama going into the last few days. It all centered around that wild card, which we had kind of talked about. Those divisions got wrapped up uh, pretty quickly. But um, in the National League, it kind of came down to that three-team race between the Mets, Giants, and Cardinals. Like we had talked about, the Marlins and Pirates definitely uh, tailed off in the last couple weeks there. Um, And it really just came down to all three of those teams finishing pretty strong. Uh, including the Giants and Cardinals both finishing on four-game win streaks. <clears throat> you know, after the you know after the Reds took two of four, um, the the Cardinals won that last game controversially, and then they swept the Pirates. But the uh, Giants just went into LA and took care of business. Um, I think it helped that the Dodgers had already clinched everything and weren't really playing for much. But I'm sure. Uh, as the Dodgers, you know, that if they could have kept the Giants out of the playoffs as their bitter rival, they would have. But they're, they're most important. They want to get their rotation set up. They want to get their guys rested um, and ready to go. So, yeah, the Giants went in there and took care of business. So it sets up a uh, – the Mets will be the home team in the playoff game on Wednesday. They won game plan, um, and it's – Great pitching matchup, Bumgarner versus Syndergaard. Oh boy! Uh, two, two guys in the NL Cy Young um, discussion. So yeah, that's that's about as good as it gets right there for a one game plan to have your two aces, two of the best pitchers in all baseball, uh, going at it. 
I will definitely be watching that game on Wednesday. <clears throat> um, and I'm thankful, I guess, that I, I don't have a skin in the game. Because I remember when the Reds played in the first one, how nerve-wracking it was. Um, and especially when you have an ace on the mound to give up a couple runs early. It's a it's a pretty rough feeling, especially if you got got to oppose one of those other guys. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's going to be a good game. And then the winner of that game will play, gets the opportunity of playing the Cubs. <laughs> um, but, I mean, they're... It'll be interesting to watch because the Cubs are off until that series won't start until Friday. So the Cubs will basically be off and not playing any games until Friday. That's five days, which is a long time in baseball. And baseball is all about timing and being in rhythm. So we'll see how quickly they can get things going in that series, um, especially coming off or playing a team that won a big playoff game already. So it's, nothing is a given in the playoffs. I think the Cubs will take care of business, but. It'll be but interesting to watch. You wouldn't be surprised if they lost game one, maybe. Yeah, I mean, the series is definitely not a gimme. Um, the uh, Those series are best of five, so um, that gives more... Uh, the probability rises of some volatility there, um, as opposed to, you know, a best of seven series. But, yeah, I mean, I, it's, we've seen it before. Um, this is this wouldn't be the first time that the number one overall seed uh, gets beat by a wildcard team. That's what that's what happened to the Cardinals last year um, against the Cubs. So it's not like um, college basketball or even the NFL where home field advantage is probably a little bit more important. Um, but yeah, so it should be a good game on Wednesday. Indeed, indeed. All right, Nick. I think it's time. I think time for what? Uh, I think it's time that we hand out the most coveted awards in all of sports podcasting. You don't want to talk about the AL? Oh, we Why skipped all? that, didn't we? I got all, I got all, I got all caught up. You were so excited. I know. About I got all this. caught up in you know the Cubs and the Cardinals not making, and I just totally forgot that there's a whole other half of the baseball world that exists. <laughs> I'm so excited about what's coming next. But yes, please. Uh, let's let's talk about the AL. So yeah, I guess in the NL two, the the Dodgers and Nationals are playing in the other the other series, which starts in Washington. Um, so that, that'll be a good series as well. The Nationals are going to be. De- I mean, Strasburg is not going to be pitching this off season, but they've got some other good options, and uh, we'll see. The Dodgers. I mean, they got Kershaw. We'll see. He's been pretty good in the playoffs, but he's also had some real uh, clunkers. But then the rest of the rotation, they've got some really um, interesting question marks with Rich Hill and uh, Maeda. Um, so I, I will see. It's I just the Dodgers could be one of those teams that easily catches fire here, and they've got good pitchers, but it, the health is just they've just been so injured. So. That should also be an entertaining series. But in the American League, um, Red Sox, Indians, and Rangers won their divisions, uh, with the Rangers being the number one seed. So the Blue Jays and Orioles will be playing in the um, the AL wildcard game on Tuesday, so it'll be the first one uh, with the winner playing the Rangers. Uh, so the, uh, the pitching matchup hasn't been posted on that one, so... 
neither of these teams definitely have an ace-like pitcher, so it won't be probably name-wise the most sexy matchup, but these are two pretty uh, prolific offenses. So in divisional foes, should be a really entertaining game. And just a personal note, I really, really want the Blue Jays to win just because the Blue Jays and Rangers hate each other. <laughs> if you remember Odor punching Bautista in the yes, face. Yes, I totally forgot this all season, about that. That is the series that everyone wants to see. So no offense to Baltimore, but everyone wants to see a Blue Jays-Rangers uh, ALDS. And do you remember what uh, Bautista said after the game? Yeah, did he, did he say he hopes they see him in the playoffs? Uh, he might have said that, but what I remember, this little like one-liner was, yeah, he got me really good, but it's going to take a bigger guy to knock me down because Odor is really little. And it's just like, oh, even even in the, you just got cold-cocked, like straight in the face. Like it was a perfect punch. He even, after that, had the audacity to call out how little his assailant was. Which just which just perpetuates the whole everyone hates Jose Bautista thing. So it's true. Well, <clears throat> I hope I want to see it. Oh, I do too. That'd be great. That would be so entertaining. I'm really looking forward to the playoffs this year. It'll be it'll be some good matchups. There's no, I guess, teams in there that I absolutely hate. So basically, the Cardinals aren't in there. <laughs> so <laughs> there's no team I feel. A huge like burden to root against, although the Red Sox have had a lot of success lately. It's kind of like I want to see somebody else win. But so, anyways, yeah, good. Um, yeah, and then the Indians and Red Sox and the other series. And so that'll that, be a good series too. It will be. The Indians are their rotation and has hit. They uh, Carrasco, um, he's hurt. Salazar's hurt. So basically they have Kluber, who I think tweaked something in his last start. Uh, I don't know if I think he's going to be okay. I haven't heard anything. But basically have Kluber, um, Bauer, Tomlin. So they're not, they might have to follow the Royals model of not having necessarily aces, but uh, scratching runs across, playing good defense, and uh, getting to their bullpen. They have a really good bullpen with Andrew Miller and Cody Allen. So they... They're by no means they uh, they have a chance, uh, but that also, like you said, that would be a good series. So, yeah, it sets up really well. Um, while I'm disappointed there is no playing game with the Tigers involved, uh, the other matchups look pretty uh, appetizing, especially that wild card game on Wednesday with uh, Syndergaard and Baumgartner going off. Yeah, that's that's going to be a must watch game. Absolutely. All right, ready to get to these awards? Oh, I can't wait. Let's do it. All right, do you want to go first? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. All right, so... Do we, do we need to reference our picks at the beginning of the year or uh just... i feel like we should for you know transparency and honesty's sake uh, even though that's gonna make me look like an uh we did no, we didn't look awful well i will preface our awards so this is how the mendozies are gonna work we're going to uh we're going to give our picks for in both al and nl the mvp 
the Cy Young, the Rookie of the Year, and then we have some special awards at the end for um, those guys that play baseball not so good. <laughs> well, <but. laughs> we'll save that for the end because oh boy, there's some doozies. Um, but yeah, so let's let's uh, we'll start with the AL MVP. And uh, for the record, Nick and I only agree on two of our six picks for these uh, MVP Cy Young Rookie of the Year um, awards. So we should have some discussion about that. Um, we'll see what the uh, baseball writers say when the yeah, awards come out. Because clearly we know better. Um, <laughs> my pick for AL MVP is the 40-year-old David Ortiz. Let me just th- throw yeah. some information at you. Throw it. 38 home runs, 100, 127 okay. RBIs. Pretty good. He's a designated hitter that weighs 230 pounds. That's, that's 40 <laughs> years old, and he stole two bases, which I feel like counts for 10. Yeah, that's true. 315 average, 401 OBP. His OPS is 1,021. He's 40 years old. Why does he need to retire? I don't know. <laughs> he's, still, he's still amazing. And, and, and if your pick wins, I will not be offended because he had a great season as well. But my guy had more home runs, more RBIs, and a better OPS. That's all I'm saying. Now, granted, your guy, your, your guy did steal a whole lot of stolen bases, though. And he also plays an amazing center field. So... Um, I just I wanted I wanted Ortiz to get his moment on the show. He's forty and he had one of the best years of his career. No, yeah, he had an amazing year, and he's he's pretty consistently done that in his old age, which is really amazing. And yeah, I'm like, I think he's got another couple years in him, but he seemed pretty adamant that his body just can't handle it anymore. So, and then there's something to going out on top as well. So. I, I think my I mean obviously I'll be sad to see him retire. Um, for for baseball reasons, but secondarily, uh, Keenan Thompson does an incredible David Ortiz on Saturday Night Live's um, weekend update. It's and I'm gonna miss that, frankly. Yeah, that's he's pretty talented in that regard. <laughs> so I, <clears throat> my guy will not win the MVP um, just because he played on a terrible team. But I tried to use uh, statistics and I tried to use fan graphs as far as. Uh, how they compile uh, war, which is wins above replacement, which is the coolest stat in all of sports. It statistically, it should determine who the most viable player is, to, despite maybe how good or bad your team is. I mean, he can't really handle that. But yeah, I pick I pick Mike Trout, who was my preseason AL MVP. Shocker. Well, he was my preseason pick as well. And he, I mean, he really kind of did what he's done. Um, on one of the worst teams in all of baseball, he still led the league in runs scored, which I think is more he has more responsibility in than runs batted in, because uh, he you know he wasn't on a good team, so no one was on base in front of him. But he still he played in 158 games, had 29 home runs, 123 runs, 99 RBIs, 29 steals, so one home run and stolen base away from a 30-30 season. Mike Trout walks at a 16.8% uh, clip, which is elite. Yeah, that's crazy good. Crazy like the next good. closest, the next closest um, on this war leaderboard is Donaldson, 
at 15.5%. Uh, uh, and the only person with a high walk percentage in all baseball is Bryce Harper, who had, uh, you know, statistically a much worse season everywhere else. He was a bit of a disappointment this year. I don't want to talk about it. But, yeah, Trout, I mean, offensively, there's no denying his uh, value there. Um, but then you also, you know, he hit 314, got on base uh, almost 44% of the time, slugged over 550. And then his, you know, defensively, he provided some value as well, playing center field, uh, which is one of the more viable defensive positions uh, outside of shortstop. So he uh, he led the league in war at 9.3, uh, a full run over who's in second. Um, so that's the big that's the big debate right now is everyone knows that Trout's not going to win the MVP because he plays on a terrible Which team, is, but that's, that he that's so stupid, so so, right, so stupid. basically, basically the the argument is he should have you know four or five. He I think he's won one MVP, but he should have um, three other ones, including this year. But well, and do we, should we take a moment to discuss how ridiculous the whole what team you play for matters in the MVP discussion? It's not most valuable team. That's what the playoffs are for. It's most valuable player. It's all it's all about narrative. It's, no, it's and... so dumb. It's so dumb. If you're the best player, it shouldn't matter if you play for a team that win that loses a hundred games or wins a hundred games. If you're the best mm-hmm. player, you should get the MVP. It should not have anything to do with the rest of your team. That's what the playoffs are for. Hey, it could lead to one of your favorite players winning the MVP in Mookie Betts. So he's going to be in strong consideration with Donaldson. Um, but yeah, I think Trout is the most deserving. I picked him just because of that, but I think Betts and Donaldson are probably more likely when uh, the votes are actually cast. Well, we know, we know better than they do. Let's just say that. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of, thankfully, there are, there are a lot of people that do, but there's still a lot of people that value the, the t- you know, team being successful, dynamic of it. Which, I mean, that just makes you think, where would the Angels be without Trout? Yeah. <laughs> like, in a very dire straits, so. I just, I mean, when it comes, and this, like, crosses sports, too. Like, the Heisman vote. If you're on a bad team, you're not even considered, even though your stats may be comparable to the guy that wins it. And I just, I, I, that has always bothered me. So. Yeah, it's like Lamar Jackson on Saturday. If his receiver puts a little bit more effort into getting the first down, they win that game. And he's probably the front runner, but because his teammate didn't do his job, they lost. And I don't know, but I understand your point. I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, we could hammer that into the ground repeatedly, but it just, yeah. MVP and Heisman or whatever the sports, it, it's about the person. It's not about the team. The playoffs are about the team. So I, I've repeated myself three times now, so I shall move on to my NL MVP. And I chose a second baseman, the most lauded of all offensive positions. <laughs> Daniel Murphy of the Washington Nationals has had an incredible season. I thought that, like, he would, you know, fade at some point because he started off. I mean, he finished the season with a 347 average. 
That's insane. Yeah. Definitely impressive. Not to mention 104 RBIs from a second baseman, 25 home runs from a second baseman, a 985 OPS from a second baseman. I get why you chose your guy. I totally get it. I totally get it. But to me, based on his... Now, he's not a small dude. He's 6'1", 220. He's not your, you know, prototypical second baseman. Most second basemen, like, I, I think of David Eckstein, even though I'm pretty sure he was a shortstop, right? Yeah, he's a yeah, shortstop. But I, most second basemen, outside of, like... But even Pedroia was a little guy, but he was good offensively. But traditionally, your second baseman is not your uh, offensive MVP. <laughs> it's your first baseman. It's your center fielder or, or, or left fielder or your shortstop. It's, it's not your, uh, your second baseman. And so his stats to me just, I mean, what a season. 300 or three, a 347 average and almost a 1,000 OPS. Just so good. Think about this time last year. Do you think anyone outside of like hardcore baseball fans knew who Daniel Murphy was? Uh, hard. Hmm. I I think I think baseball fans would have recognized the name. I don't think they could have told you who he played for or what he looked like. Well, he had that amazing postseason run, and then he's followed that up with an amazing season that he had this year. Yeah. No, I mean, he's definitely but, not the face of the team or any, he's not Max Scherzer. He's not Bryce Harper. He's not going to get the headlines, but goodness me, did this guy have a season? So last year he, he had 14 home runs, 73 RBIs. He hit 281, got on base 322, an okay season, uh, 109 WRC plus. So that's, you know, slightly above average. Um, his best season before that was in 2013. He had 13 home runs and 17 RBIs, hit 286, 319. Uh, again, just barely over average um, hitter. To this year <laughs> with the Nationals, with those things that you talked about, and he's a 156 WRC plus. So having by far his best season <clears throat> at um, the age of 31, yeah, it's pretty incredible. Uh, how big of a you know how much of a late bloomer he was, and I'm sure how dumb the Mets feel for <laughs> what, letting him go, especially to a division rival. Yeah, that, and that that's the key right there. And they really don't have anyone else to replace him. Um, but yeah, it's not a bad choice. I feel pretty good about my guy, um, just because again I he was the second highest. Uh, position player with war at 8.3 that was chris bryant uh, he had 39 home runs uh he was i think third in all majors with 121 runs 102 rbis eight stolen bases uh hit 291 got on base 300 or 384 clip slugged over 550 um while also playing third first left center and right so Definitely understand the second base uh, position value, but he also provided a ton of defensive uh, worth. And he was actually, by all the defensive metrics, uh, really great at all those, uh, cumulative of all those positions, um, which is why he got such a high wins above replacement. So it definitely helps that he plays for the best team. That's not exactly why I picked him there. 
Um, but yeah, I just, I felt like holistically he had an amazing offensive and defensive season. Um, and what was interesting was my eventual rookie of the year was in a close second as a shortstop. So when we get to him, I'm excited to talk about him, but yeah, he kind of, um, above and beyond like a lot of other National League position players had a pretty amazing season uh, when it comes to war. And, um, yeah, I mean, he was, <laughs> the Cubs also had a few other really good hitters that could have been in the discussion as well, but <laughs> Chris Bryant was my, was my choice. All right, pitchers. Oh, yes, pitchers. Well, we, we have finally reached the point in which, uh, you and I agree. Which I'm a little surprised. Well, I when I saw uh, full transparency here, Nick made all of his choices before I did because I'm intelligent and I wanted to see what he thought <laughs> before I made my <laughs> choices. Because, uh, you know, clearly in, in, in uh, you know, life, you are the, like, I'm a baseball fan. You are a baseball super fan. And I respect your opinion very much. So I wanted to see who you chose before I made my decisions. And, and obviously, you know, I have different opinions because we only agree on two out of six, but this one to me was a no brainer. Yeah. I, I, I really wrestled with this one. Um, just because you kind of look at the starters in the American league and there's kind of a tier, um, of several guys that are kind of all together that all had good seasons, but nothing like that I felt was Cy Young worthy. I mean, you had Justin Verlander, uh, Chris Sale, Rick Porcello, all had good seasons. Their ERAs were in the low threes, really good whips, great strikeout rates. But um, I think with Cy Youngs, you're looking more dominant ERA uh, levels. And um, yeah, just just more of like a presence in that way. So I, I picked Zach Britton, who's a reliever, and I just looked up. Um, uh, I didn't actually know this, but there are nine relief pitchers who's won, who have won the Cy Young um, since the first, uh, when they first gave it out in 1956, which is way more than I would have expected. Um, but it does include some really um, uh, familiar names, including... Uh, Raleigh Fingers, uh, Dennis Eckersley, Bruce Souter, uh, and also Eric Gagne. Remember him? Oh boy, Dodgers guy. Yeah. So what? Whatever he, happened to him? The Tigers never picked him up. He <laughs> he he totally flamed out after. So in in his season, he, he was so good though. He was so filthy. He pitched. Uh, 82 innings, which is a lot for a reliever. He had 55 saves. He was perfect. 55 for 55. 137 strikeouts, 1.20 ERA. So Zach Britton, actually, he doesn't have as many saves. He only had, he had 40. But he was perfect. He was 47 for 47. He had 47. It's not his fault that he didn't have more opportunities. He was 47 out of 47, and he only gave up four earned runs all year. The whole season, Nick. The whole season. He was in in 69 games, and he only gave up four runs. That's it. .55 ERA. It's insane. 
It's insane. Yeah. So what's tricky is, you know, you look at certain metrics like war and they don't value relief pitchers very high. He's only a two war player according to them. Or a, a four war player according to them. Ridiculous. And you have those other starting pitchers are in the fives and sixes, but you know, where would the Orioles be without him? You know, they're they're he's really solidified that bullpen and really helped carry a pretty average starting pitching staff um throughout the year and yeah, just a guy that <clears throat> Is that dominant? Just you know, he he's a big sinker ball pitcher, but he still has over a strikeout an inning um, with that. You know, and just induces ground balls at an insane percentage. Um, but yeah, this is he he couldn't have done any better. Like you can't ask him to do any more than what he did. Yeah. So coupling that with not having a starter kind of set themselves apart, which is why I chose Zach Britton. Yeah, and, and just to throw some quick numbers out here. So 67 full innings pitched, which is 201 batters by my math. Out of 201 batters, he only walked 18. He only gave up 38 hits. He only allowed seven runs, four of which were earned. Only gave up one home run. Struck out 74, which is over a third of the batters he faced mm-hmm. his average his batting average against uh, 162 and his yeah, his whip was, was he was dominant. his whip was 0.84 it just unbelievably dominant the entire season yeah, he he definitely won me a fantasy league this year <laughs> just cuz yeah those stats carry a pitching staff like that amount of innings, like anyone's going to have a you know great ERA and WHIP. So, I mean, I'm I'm happy we're in agreement there. I think using statistics, we made a very sound choice uh, with what we were given. Indeed. All right, let's move on to a disagreement. Our National League Cy Young. I this one was this one was also pretty tough. I think. There, there are a few names in there. So I looked, I tried to look at some different statistics, and I think I'll admit a little bit of human element to this, cause just because we talked about this guy because he passed away recently, but I chose Jose Fernandez as my son young. Um, he, uh, he was second as among all starting pitchers in a war, 6.2, right behind Syndergaard. So he... He actually, <clears throat> not that this matters that much, but he had he had more wins than Syndergaard. Um, to pitch the same amount of innings, he had a uh, he had a twelve point five K per nine to Syndergaard's eleven point six. Um, so he, um, yeah, he struck out batters at a. I think he led the league in strikeout percentage among starters. Um, so I think that like I've said before, is a great indicator of um, just pitching dominance. And he also led the league in XFIP, which kind of adjusts for um, kind of adjusts for just the pitchers, like without how they would do without uh, the randomness of, I just made up a word, <laughs> the randomness of the randomness, the randomness of, um, yeah, batting average or when balls are put in play. So he, he led the league in XFIP. Uh, right ahead of Cindergard. So, you know, I had 
I felt like you can kind of choose between either of those. And just the fact that he, just such a tragedy and how his life ended. Um, what a way to kind of go out to give him the Cy Young for the year that he had. And then, you know, I I've, I think there should be uh, some other award with his name in it. I think there's been some suggestions as far as like people who really enjoy the game or play the game with a, a vibrancy and joy. Um, but so those are, those are the reasons why I kind of chose uh, Fernandez, but you know, I think there are some other guys deserving as well, but I think I just, the whole, the heartstrings were pulling and that's why I chose him. I would be, uh, very not surprised, but almost like, heart warmed if they gave this award to him posthumously like you know i don't think that's ever happened before where an award of this stature has been given to a person after they've died and um you know from that from that human feel good like and they're not giving it to him because he died like as you've stated very well he had a very good year and i think you have to remember like this this award is determined by a vote by human beings um so i i'm interested to see like yeah how much that will go into um that just having so many pitchers that are kind of close here especially you know i think fernandez and Syndergaard and your guy um when you determine or use era kind of stood stood apart um you know fernandez's era was a little bit higher 2.86 but still, I mean, uh, every other of his um, pitching metrics were, you know, outstanding. And when you look at the XFIP, um, that's one metric that you could argue, you know, he was the best pitcher this year. So, yeah, I think that would be pretty cool if that happened. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, it's – I hope you're right um, just from the the emotional, you know, side of things that um, – what what that would do just for like a a humbling centering sort of moment to to watch his family and friends accept the word on his behalf because he's you know he's gone on um it would just be uh i'd probably cry i'll just say that um my choice was uh Kyle Hendricks of the uh Chicago Baseball Cubs and uh well i chose him because he's got really good numbers nick he does 166 strikeouts a 0.97 whip a point or sorry a 1.99 era And I think as a which is higher now because he gave up four to the Reds today. Yeah, well, but he's still he's led the he's going to lead the NL in the ERA. Yeah, so a freaky good freaky good ERA, a freaky good WHIP, a very good strikeout ratio, and he he is on the best team, which I know I argued against earlier. <laughs> as, as as a reason, yeah. but it, it is going to help his case. I don't think this means he wins it like outright for like you know the the people that actually get to vote on this, but it doesn't hurt that he's on the Cubs. Yeah, well, this is an interesting experiment on which narrative wins. <clears throat> you know, if it's the what and how crazy is it that that 
that Hendricks is in that discussion. I mean, this is a guy, what a juxtaposition with Fernandez. Like, this is a guy that throws, I think he tops out in the lower 90s, but he has excellent command and changes speeds really well to where he can, you know, throw low 90s, but then he throws an off-speed pitch in the low 70s. Um, And that just goes to show pitching is not all about stuff. It's like knowing what to do with that stuff. Wes Fernandez can throw upper 90s with a hammer, slider, and curveball. But that's what uh, what an embarrassment of riches for the Cubs to have that guy that guy emerge, you know, after Lester, who was second in the NL in the RA, and then you also have Arietta, the AL or the NL Cy Young Award winner of last year, who's who struggled a little bit this year, not really going in the the playoffs on a hot note, which could determine, you know, a little bit. I'm interested to see how the Cubs set the rotation. You know, do are they going to go Lester and and Hendricks one and two, or Lester and Arietta one two. Um, I think we'll kind of see how that or how Madden values that um, when that series starts. But goodness, that team is good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they are. All right, uh, so we've got our uh, MVP picks and our Cy Young picks. Let's move on to uh, potentially the most exciting category, just because of the potential, you know. Within that category, uh, for rookie, I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, they're they're brand new. They're going to be the people that we potentially follow for the next ten to fifteen years. So there's some excitement there. So I will admit, I'll just go first here for AL for the AL Rookie of the Year. I I actually put someone else down, but then I really like went back and looked at the numbers, and this guy was just insane. <laughs> For his 52 games that he was up. And I, you picked the same guy. But I picked Gary Sanchez of the Yankees. <clears throat> I had Michael Fulmer. He's a close second. And part of me thinks that he's still going to win it just because he was actually in the majors for a long period yeah, of time. most of the season. And I think without a, a, a last rough couple starts, his ERA kind of ballooned up and um, he lost a little bit of, um, I guess appeal or whatever but Gary Sanchez was just insane in his 225 plate appearances he had 20 home runs um and slugged uh 662 in 52 games which is just absolutely insane like that's that's unheard of and probably not sustainable I'm interested to see how he does over a full year but this is also a guy that's a pretty Pretty dang good catcher too. Um, they really, you know, he's a guy we've referenced in the past as he's been the the Yankee system for a long time because he's one of those international players that got signed when he was 16. Um, so he's been in the system for so long that there's been some prospect fatigue. But he's a they've been working really hard with him in his catching, which is probably the most uh, important defensive position when you really think about it. But he's also a guy with a plus plus arm so he has a very very strong arm good defensive catcher oh and he can also hit 20 home runs <laughs> in like two months one which, one home run every 10 at bats over the course of the year that's you know 60 plus home run season which is insane which would be oh my god unsustainable one of the best like best um pitching performances of all t- or um hitting performances of all time but 
Yeah, so I went with Sanchez, but Fulmer was a close second. Yeah, and I, I chose Sanchez as well. He's only 23. That's So my, my, uh, my interest with him is how he does next year, because I'm assuming he'll be up the entire season next year. And I'm also assuming that the teams will adjust to what he can and can't hit. So I think that whole one home run every 10 at bats, obviously not sustainable, not because he's not that good, but because other teams will adjust and start throwing him stuff that is less um, home runnable, if I can make up a word this episode. Uh, so yeah, I he's been crazy good since he came up, but I am intrigued to see how he handles a full season in the American League East, which as this season has proved has been very competitive. Uh, so yeah, we'll see, we'll see how Gary does. And also I know why you picked him because his first name is Gary. That's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that, but <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see how he does over a full year. I don't think he's going to hit 60 home runs. No, but you but mean, what a, you'd, what a debut. you'd settle for 40, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Out of the catching position, definitely you would. All right. NL Rookie of the Year, Nicholas. We disagree. We disagreed yeah, yet again. A little surprised about the disagreement. I love both of these guys. I went with Corey Seager, um, who was, you know, in my dis- you know consideration for you know, MVP. He had that good of a year. He had a seven point six wins above replacement. So the next closest was your pick, which I won't spoil it, at three point one. But yeah, twenty six home runs. 105 runs, 72 RBIs, um, 309 average, 367 on-base percentage, uh, 514 slugging uh, as a rookie. So that's, you know, that that's probably the best, one of the best seasons uh, as from a shortstop um, this year. And he, he just, he did it his rookie year on a, you know, on a, on a pennant race with the Dodgers this year. Um, you know, definitely not a surprise. He came into the season as the number one overall prospect. Um, so it looks like, you know, he graded out pretty well defensively there, but also had a fantastic offensive year as well. But I do love, I love your selection. Um, I think he's going to be a really good player as well, but I thought Corey did it for much longer, um, pretty much the whole year, but they both had a great seasons. Yeah. And I, my choice is not to say that yours is bad. Like I saw your choice and I was like, Oh yeah, he had an incredible season. And then I I did some digging and, and I looked at my pick is Trey Turner center fielder for the Washington nationals. And, uh, I looked at the numbers and I was like, okay, uh, Corey Seeker played roughly twice as many games with roughly twice as many at bats. And so you take into account the hits, you know, the extra base hits, the home runs, the RBIs, the walks, the strikeouts. They're, you know, within, you know, uh, a decent amount, very similar if you double Trey Turner's stats, which I realize is total projection and not reality. I understand that. Email Nick, not me. Um, But then I look at the average, the OBP, the slugging, and the OPS, and that's where the difference changes between Seeger and Turner. And this is, I'm assuming, again, that Turner in a full season or close to a full season as Corey Seeger played, 
uh, would keep these numbers up, which I realize is not necessarily the smartest assumption, but... I think if they both played in a full year, especially with what they did this year, they would be pretty neck and neck. And and that was why I I I could have easily picked Corey Seager and agreed with you, but I want he's had such a, it's been only 72 games, but he's had such a good 72 games that I felt like he deserved to be uh defended. No, I think it's good that he's and that he's recognized as a future like star of the game because he's going to be yeah so if Seager wins I will not at all be disappointed because the dude had a good year but I just I felt like Turner deserved to have that moment and this was a guy that Dusty Baker refused to play the first two and a half months of the year and instead of Danny Espinosa <laughs> and Ben Revere and an assortment of other just terrible baseball players. Well, we'll certainly hear from Espinosa later, that's for sure. <laughs> so the Nationals were still good enough to win the division, so it didn't haunt him. But he just refused to even – he would come up, um, and he refused to play him. He was playing bench players over him to get him some time. So I was just – as a Trey Turner fan, I was so annoyed, but just brought back some bad memories of Dusty – just not giving young guys a chance over, you know, a veteran for whatever reason. But that's a side danger. That's, that's just dusty, Nick. That's what he does. All right, should we get to our Mendozies before we close up? Yes, this I've been so excited about this. Uh, the Mendozi Awards are for a very special select group of individuals. Those that get paid very, very good money to be... um. On the verge of horrendous at their job, I think is a fair way to put it, Nick. Would you agree? Yes, those that, yeah, did not uh, pull their weight or the opposite of maybe what the most powerful player would be. Yeah, they are good enough to be on a roster, yet bad enough to win this award. It's a very select, uh, you know, elite group of players. (laughs) So why don't you uh, hand out your Mendozies and then I will go ahead and hand out mine. So yeah, we we both picked a, a pitcher, or yeah, that we had bad seasons. Mine was Alfredo Simon, who had a nine point three six ERA <laughs> in fifty eight innings. Oh, so yeah, it wasn't a one hit one like my guy. <laughs> not just like nine innings and give up nine runs, but this is a guy they just kept trotting out there, and we spent two million dollars on him in the off season too to take up innings to be our workhorse, and he gave us 58 innings of 9.36 ERA. <laughs> Just, I, like, at least negative one wins Republic placement. So you just put a, a, anyone else out there, we probably win a couple more games. So maybe I should thank him, actually, for the Reds getting a number two pick. Good point. Because he was probably the reason for that. And then my hitter, I the Mendoza line is a um, – a saying for, you know, hitters who are hitting around 200, because that's, you know, if you can't hit over 200, you probably aren't a major leaguer. So I, I give out a Mendoza to Danny Espinoza, who finished the year hitting 208 um, on the season. He did provide some value defensively and some power, but again, this is a guy that Dusty continued to trot out there every single day instead of Trey Turner. And pretty much, yeah, he's played pretty much every day all year with a 208 batting average. So congratulations, Danny Espinoza. There's your Mendoza. Yes. All right. So I got uh, a little uh, out of, well, 
I took the Mendozis a little further than you did. I got very excited, Nick. So I, I decided, ooh, what's a really bad stat for a hitter? You know, oftentimes we, we, we hit on war, OPS, home runs, RBIs, runs scored, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, strikeouts as a batter are not good. It proves that you, um, you can't see the baseball. So I found two batters in Major League Baseball this season that had over 200 strikeouts. Yeah, that's not no, good. No, that's, that's, that's worthy of a Mendozi, in fact. So uh, I award a Mendozi for being the worst strikeouter this season to Chris Davis of the American League, who struck out a whopping 219 times on the... The Orioles, Chris yes, Davis? the playoff-bound Baltimore Orioles have the player who struck out the most this season, 219 times. And then uh, I, I award a secondary Mendozi to Chris Carter, who had 206 strikeouts. Well done, gentlemen. Keep, keep <laughs> yes, it mediocre. They are pretty much either hit a home run or strike out. Yeah. Uh, then I, I got a little more creative with the caught-stealing Mendozi. Who is, who is the guy that got caught the most? Because getting caught-stealing is no fun for anyone except for the catcher because he gets to throw a guy out. Uh, so at first I, you know, I just sorted by, Oh, caught stealing. And Jonathan VR came up. He got caught 18 times, which is a ton, but he also stole 62 bases. So he, yeah, he led the he league. Doesn't, yeah. 62 is an insane amount of stolen bases. I mean, just ridiculous considering he's not a small dude. He is six foot one and 215 pounds. That's a man. Mm-hmm. Like that's a bi- that is not a little man. Like he is he is tall and he is heavy and he stole sixty two bases. So you sir you don't win a Mendoza. You get a thumbs up. The Mendoza for the worst stealer goes to Cesar Hernandez, who got caught thirteen times yet only managed to steal seventeen. So he's batting like I say that that's a terrible analogy because he's batting like you know. 58%, which would be the best record ever. But when it comes to stolen bases, you you don't want to be, you know, like 56, 58% success rate. That's just bad. That's just bad, Nick. Mm-hmm. So Cesar Hernandez gets the Mendoza for the worst stealer, which I suppose is like a plus, like yay for you not, you know, being ethical. Good job. Don't steal things. Although it's bases, no one really cares about them. Stealing them is a good thing. Baseball is very weird, uh, you know, for our moral compass, Nick, where we encourage people to steal things. Not <laughs> sure how I feel about it. I've never thought about it that way before. Uh, I haven't either. But I'm rethinking everything now. I know. Now. My life is forever changed. Uh, this Mendozi, my final Mendozi award, goes to a guy I've never heard of before. So pretty sure he's made up. Well, we're we're already yeah we're already on good standing considering the fact that I've never heard of him before. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna reference his uh, stat sheet from MLB.com. This uh, goes to the worst pitcher of the entire year, Mister Vin Mazzaro of the San Francisco Giants. Now, uh, Vin has been in the big leagues for a few years. And uh, in fact, this season, 
<laughs> I can't even I can't even do this seriously. Here are his numbers. His ERA. 54. Which makes Alfredo is it Simon or Simone? Because I'm confused. Simon. Seriously? Yeah. Okay. Uh his ERA <laughs> is what, six times worse than Alfredo's? His whip is eight. His batting average against is 636. <laughs> How many innings did he throw? <laughs> and his innings pitched is one. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really bad. That's I know. A really bad I realize outing. it's not like representative, but he pitched one inning this whole season. So there's there's how many games? 162? Mm-hmm. 162 times nine. What's that? That's a lot. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna pull up my calculator here because that's mental math. I don't care to do this late at night. 162 times nine. 1,458 innings that the San Francisco Giants played. He pitched one of them. So if I do one divided by fourteen fifty eight. He pitched .068% of the Giants' innings this year. Mm-hmm. But he managed a 54 ERA and an 8 whip with zero strikeouts. I just, I have to clap for him. That's just, it's incredibly <laughs> impressive. You, sir, take home the largest Mendoza award of all time thus far, Mr. Vin Mazzaro. You, sir, are just an average Joe, and I appreciate that about you. Shall we uh, make up some trophies and send them to these guys? I think um, they would appreciate that. I, I, <laughs> as far as, like, you know, making fun of people, I'm cool with that. I think sending them awards, telling them how awful they are, maybe crosses the line a little bit. <laughs> Especially considering... <laughs> To yeah. be fair, neither you nor I are uh, famous enough to get they away are, to get away with that. They were major leaguers. Uh, Simon made the All Star team two years ago, so it uh, it just goes to show, like, yeah, it, it, someone can have a bad season. Um, some people's careers are pretty much over, and this is the final, you know, stab to the heart. But there are some impressive. Uh, totals that we discovered there we'll still be uh meeting up and talking playoffs and then yeah we'll talk through some different things we want to do uh, to close out the year and uh to look forward to next um as we kind of wrap up this year but it uh it always flies by i know you always say how long the season lasts but i uh like I said, I'm pretty bittersweet. Looking forward to the playoffs, but I also know that winter's coming, and then we'll be yearning for the the start of next season. But it's been fun. I've appreciated. Uh, this was all Indeed, your idea, so it is not it's yet. Been a lot of fun. We still have, as you said, the very exciting playoff race ahead of us. And um, I will say this: as much as much fun as I've poked at how long the baseball season is, and how many, just how many games they play which I find a bit ridiculous. I will say this. Playoff baseball is a ton of fun to watch. 
because you finally get to see every pitch matter. It every is. Every play matter, and everyone stretches and dives, and guys run to first base like they're actually running. It's it's amazing, and so I'm I'm very excited um, this time around to be able to watch playoff baseball with uh, this podcast in mind. So yeah, definitely. Um, first season was great. Uh, but very much looking forward to uh, the playoffs and being able to get your uh, thoughts and opinions on on what we see. So until next time, folks, this has been episode 22 of Mendoza Line, and we'll be back with some playoff coverage. Mm, indeed. Bye-bye. Tune in next week. Adios. <laughs>